blew me off for a bottle of tequila. Tequila's no good for you. Doesn't call, doesn't write. It's not nearly as much fun to wake up to. Hello, my beautiful babies, and welcome to Scalpels in Tequila, a Grey's Anatomy recap podcast. I'm Ayla. And I'm Tamsin. And today we are doing Season 3, Episode 11, Six Days, Part 1. Look, there's a lot of numbers That was in a that mouthful. <laughs> that was a lot. I know. <laughs> About how exceptionally tired we both are. I think you've done very well. I really loved this episode. I think this is so beautifully written. Like the characters, there's so many moments between just two characters, like lots of beautiful little dialogue scenes. If I could if I could have like made heaps of these into quotes and read them all out for you, I would have, but I would just would have ended up me being it would have ended up being me just saying the whole script. I feel like you're shaming me for my notes, which is precisely all the <laughs> cute little notes. Yeah, like, uh, Izzy so turning well to George written. and saying, I think everything's going to go great. I didn't even bake you anything. Yeah, so good. So this is written by Krista Vernoff. So, you know, that's Shonda's right-hand lady. Krista mm-hmm. is now the showrunner of the show currently. So, And she wrote this when she was heckin' pregnant and apparently just spent the entire time shooting this bawling her eyes out. Love just ruining takes by just heavily pregnant emotional hormone crying. Such a good writer. I'm mm-hmm. yeah. This is beautiful. As even though it doesn't feel like anything happens in this, especially I think mainly because it's a two-parter. Mm. So nothing super dramatic happens today, but lots of little setups happen today and lots of beautiful little dialogue. And we just get to know our characters a bit more. Well, that's why I was doing some reading up on this episode. And Krista was saying that this episode, they initially filmed it and it was 61 minutes film time. Now, back in the ye old days, they could only have 42 minutes or 44 minutes show time to be in an hour slot. Mm-hmm. So it was a choice between cutting out 18 minutes, which they just refused Didn't to do. do. They had to expand it out to her least favorite thing of all time and that is to be continued Hmm. which I think is really funny so they made it longer not shorter that's really interesting but I think it's really odd that in a show like Grey's Anatomy where it's not um like monster of the week or one episode of the time we actually have a continuing storyline that it needs to be a to be continued Mm. because it kind of is continued anyway through the characters, not through the patients. So a lot of those shows, they are, it'll be it's like. the patients roll on. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. So, I mean, before we get into it too much, I just, what are some of your favourite moments from this episode? Um, Well and truly the, I didn't bake you anything because I was like, oh, I understand that. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a favorite, but it's one that really um, sticks out of Sloan saying, go back to the Giny squad where everything's all squishy and pink. Yeah, Giny. Well, to be, it's fair for Giny's as well. Squishy and pink. Gynecologist, okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, didn't like it. Also, really liked it. Um, 
Bailey doing maths to determine how much interest Izzy is losing out on. Oh yeah. That it's great when Bailey does that actually because it um really puts that into perspective and then it makes me go, "Oh my god, all of those like one percenters, those billionaires out there. Fuck, they just make money doing nothing." Hand over fist. So my favorite, well, one of my favorites is Callie and Bailey talking about Derek. I love this little chat as they're walking down the corridor. Callie really wants to know how to get Derek to do something, specifically how to get Derek to give a consult on a patient today when the patient doesn't want the consult. And Callie just says, Bailey, like, how much do you know about Derek? And Bailey says, lots of hair, too many women, likes long walks on the beach. He thinks he's busier and a little bit more important than everybody else. And her advice is you have to stare him down. Him down. And it's really funny because Bailey never stares anyone down. She stares everybody up. Oh. (laughs) It was when she was saying stare him down and just laser focused on Callie, but her head was doing almost a full tilt to the sky because Callie's so much Mm. taller than her. And Callie trying to do the stare down and just going full crazy eyes. It's so good. She does this like thing with her eyes and tilts her head and and it just becomes this little motif throughout the whole episode of Callie trying to stare people down. Yeah. It's great. I really enjoyed that. Oh, there's just so many really good parts to this episode and I think we're starting to see a little bit more of the women calling out the men, mm-hmm. specifically about displaced anger. Like, you know, George finds or gets annoyed at the check on the fridge again, which is a huge theme in this episode. Izzy just turns it around on him and says, your dad's having surgery today. Is this anger actually being displaced from that onto me? Mm-hmm. Because I do not receive that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, good on you, Izzy. Mm-hmm. And Addison calling out Burke and Christina for, if there's a power play in your relationship, it probably shouldn't exist. See, okay, so today... We find out that Burke has had surgery on his shoulder. At the end of last episode, which would have been when this aired, the the mid-season break has happened. This is the first episode back from their mid-season break. And the last time we see Burke is him in the elevator with Derek and Derek's going to go and have a look at his shoulder and Christina ends up jumping in the elevator as well. And now that we've come back from this break and we're, we're here watching, what we find out is that Burke actually had surgery. And Burke and Christina are not speaking at the moment because Burke is upset that Christina had gone to the chief, told her, told chief about the hand and everything that they'd been doing. And Burke is still furious at her for that. But Christina wants to know so badly how his hand is post-op, but she won't, she won't ask him. And he doesn't want to tell her until she asks. So it's kind of this little joke throughout the episode that Christina kind of keeps sending spies into his room, like Nurse Olivia, like who else goes in there, like George. And Der- and Burke is completely cottoned on and he's just like, mm-hmm. I will not give you that information because you're going to go run off and tell Christina and I won't tell her. And it is played as like a bit of a gag, a bit of a joke, some light humour throughout this episode until Addison comes in and and really questions it and really makes Burke explain the reasoning for this and explain explain what's going on. 
Because I don't think having little games and little jokes in your relationship is a bad thing. But the way I Burke... I think having ones where it's a weird power play, Christina's obviously just worried about him and his hand but is too terrified to actually speak to him that she's sending in other people because she knows he's going to react badly or just not talk to her at all. Yeah, so Burke actually says this is about power. Mm-hmm. It's about the being the one to like break first is the one who gives up the power and that's where it suddenly gets yucky. See, I found it yucky from the very beginning. This didn't feel like the the gag or the funny storyline in this. I'd say Heather Douglas, our angry teenager, she was it for me. She was comedic relief and honesty and I enjoyed her a lot. But Burke, I was just not. Nah. It was absolutely atrocious the way that he was treating her. But she can just go and in and ask. So that's that's why it's if, like they're both playing, they're both in on this until you find out, until the penny drops with Addison going in there and actually making him explain it. Because there's lots of like little light moments of her like looking through the door, looking at him through the thing, like making really loud whispered comments during rounds. I don't know. She looks very scared. Like, ask about the hand, ask about the hand. And she's playing this game too. But then it gets darker at the end, I think. I just saw a really worried girlfriend who was too scared of her boyfriend's reaction to be able to ask him how he's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair enough. So Heather is one of our patients today who you just mentioned. And she has beta syndrome, which is basically where your inside skeletal system just decides to go twisty-turny. And it affects every aspect. Is it not Vader with a V? It's Vader. I don't know. Either way, it looks terribly uncomfortable. Heather gives no fucks. She's done. She's unhappy and she's wallowing in it. And she warns everyone that she is not the cheery, happy-go-lucky, differently-abled person they're all expecting her to be. She doesn't want the, the weight of happiness on her. Which is, like, fair enough. It seems like she's been let down and let down and let down. Mm-hmm. And she's over but it. Her intern today is Izzy, and Izzy's desperate to be on this surgery. Um, but her psychiatrist hasn't cleared her for surgery yet. Oh, sorry, hold on. This is my eye appointment calling. Mm-hmm. Hello, this is Ayla. Good, thanks yourself. So Izzy is Heather's intern today, which she's really excited about because it looks like Bailey's given her some extra privileges over the break. She still doesn't seem to be able to be participatory in surgeries, but she's allowed to do more of the processing, but she really, really wants in on this one. And Bailey says no, because her psych hasn't cleared her because she still hasn't deposited the check. Totally, and I think, like, Bailey makes a really good point because Izzy doesn't quite understand what that has to do with anything, and Bailey said it's about being reasonable. It's about the fact you have $8.7 million in a place that it can get trampled and ruined and covered in food like it is, and you it could be somewhere safe, and, like, that is about your decision-making. 
and your reasoning. Yeah. And I think Izzy sees him as being two very separate parts of her. She wants to keep the the Denny and the emotions separate from the professional, which I get. Mm. Um, but we again have another person assuming that Izzy's dumb because she's pretty. Totally, which is such a running theme to Izzy's Izzy's character, unfortunately. But it is really nice the way you said it before. Mm-hmm. This character is just so brutally honest and just says what she's thinking, and and it's so nice and it's also so real for a teenager. And Izzy just kind of snaps back at her and says, "Like I am a real doctor. I just can't perform surgeries because my fiance dropped dead, and then I went a little nuts, and I'm not allowed to be in surgeries for a little while." What do the youth call it? Had a little menti bee. Really? Is that a thing? Mm-hmm. Mental breakdown, little Menti B. That's and I love, like, I love that. That's fair. Um, Heather is quite shocked and taken aback, actually. And I think it's it's so indicative and so real of the way that when you're a teenager, you really do just see in your own world, in your own bubble all the time. Like, and it's so hard to go, oh, this person has a story as well. This person is just because because Heather is doing to Izzy what Heather assumes people do to her all the time, which is instantly assume things about her. Yeah. To do with her looks. And she's just done that exact same thing to Izzy. And Izzy has clapped back with like the brutal truth and the honesty and has been really real and vulnerable and honest with her. And she wasn't expecting it. And I just think it's a really nice mirror of these two characters. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. I just think it's a nice moment. I thought they played really well together. I think it's Izzy bonding with a character, with a patient on a different level to the way she used to. Like two years ago, you could very, very easily see Izzy getting too emotionally involved Mm -hmm. with this patient and feeling that patient's feelings. Whereas she's sort of learning more how to empathize, but also not put up with bullshit. Like she gets that this girl has lived her entire life in pain. Yeah. You know, if Well, Izzy says that. Is Izzy says like, um, well, because okay, so it's kind of in that same conversation. Heather apologizes for being a bitch. And yeah, judging her and is he's like, well, look, you've lived your entire life in a hell of a lot of pain. When I'm in pain, I tend to be a bitch. No, she says, even when I'm not, I can be a bitch, even when I'm not in pain. I can be a bitch <laughs> for no reason. You're being a bitch because you're in pain, like it makes sense. And it's that moment where they really form a little bond and it's really lovely. Also, um, Heather is played by Mae Whitman, who... It's one she's one of those weird actresses who I know so well. I feel like I see her face everywhere, but I don't know I don't know specifically. Like I know she's in Scott Pilgrim and that movie, that teen movie that came out a few years ago called The Duff. But I don't know why. Yeah, she's just been playing a teenager for the last like 15 years. Yeah, probably. Also a broody teenager. Perks of being a wallflower actually is what I know her from. Cuz I was like She's so familiar, but I just feel like I haven't actually seen her in anything. In so many things. Like I haven't watched any of the stuff that she's done, but she's so familiar to me. But Perks of Being a Wallflower, I have seen. 
Basically, her storyline is Izzy, Callie, and Derek. So Callie obviously sees her disastrous spine and just all of her osteo parts start quivering. She's so excited to get in there and rip it apart, but she's going to need Derek. So Callie stares Derek down and he comes along and says that basically they can pull her spine out and put in a new one. And Heather just claps back immediately and says, it's not nice to mock crippled kids because she thinks that they're offering her false hope. Totally. And I think she's had a lot of false hope her whole life. But I don't know that her mother has ever really, until this moment, understood how difficult it's been for her growing up with this condition because we find out that it's a really high risk of paralysis and death in this um, surgery. And there's a very grounding moment from Heather, a very sort of insightful adult moment where she turns to her mother and says, I know you still think that death is the worst thing that can happen to a person, but I assure you it is not the worst thing that can happen. Yeah, I really think Heather's quality of life has just gotten to a point where she really feels like she's missing out on a lot. I want to get laid. Can you give me that? Yeah. Can you hear the drums in the background? Yeah, I can hear something. Yeah, Someone's drumming? Yeah, our neighbour's a drummer and he's really good. Um, but I heard his whole band rehearsing the other day. They're fucking, they're really good. So what ends up happening with Heather is that I guess she, her mum hears her say that. Her mum hears her and agrees to the surgery. But sadly, after Izzy finally proves that she is able to do it, because she decides that she's going to do the hard thing and go down and try and deposit the check in this scene where she is bawling her eyes out, handing over a check to an accountant who thinks she's lost her mind because she's crying, saying she's inherited $8 million and she wants to deposit deposit it. And then she gets a note from her psych saying that she did this task and that she should be allowed in surgery now because this was kind of the last task on her little checklist before she could go back in. And she finally gets it done and goes up to Bailey and says, I'm ready. And that's when we find out that the insurance for the surgery didn't go through. So the mum is a bit upset and distraught and the surgery has to be cancelled. And we can just see Izzy's mind tick, tick, ticking away. $200,000 for surgery plus the hospital stay. The American medical system is absolutely disgusting. And one of the things that Denny said to Izzy when she got the money is do something good. And I think that's the thing that's been playing on her mind so much. It's part of the reason she hasn't hasn't deposited the check yet is that she doesn't know how to do something good with it. She's still so heartbroken, as you would be. She's still so devastated. She's living in this place of grief still. And I think that the finality of depositing this check must so feel like another loss of Danny, another moving on moving on to the next thing that this money could be and giving herself another huge task, which is do something good, which seems so impossible when you're so 
in the middle of grief when you're so sad, when you've lost someone that important? Well, good is also a sliding scale. I think that part of it's probably also how does she, how can she choose what would make, what to do with Denny's money when he's not there to tell her that that's something that he supports? I mean, totally, but you just, she just has to trust herself that Denny gave her the money to make that choice. He trusted her to do the right thing, to pick something. I think he would support mm. her in anything. Correct. But Bailey's absolutely right. You could have been making so much interest on that. Do you remember when banks used to pay interest? Yeah. It's a joke now. I think I get like I think I get like a dollar twenty-five a yes. month. So silly. Off my so entire savings. No, like- it's wild. Um, another thing that happens today is we learn that Christina doesn't have a dad, and I do think that's that's really important. Oh, also, forgot to say at the top of this, there is no monologue today. There's snoring. There's just snoring. I feel for Derek for the very first time. Oh, we're jumping all over the place, but yeah, let's talk about that. This episode is called Six Days Part One. So over the course of this episode and next week's episode, we will go we will it will be it will take 6 days so because it is a two parter this one just goes for 3 days and those that time is marked by Meredith and Derek waking up in bed and i've got to say i'm really upset <laughs> because you didn't you went straight into it today we had no like how are you doing banter yeah and i didn't get to mention the fact that they really missed out on the theme song of this episode being one week by the bare naked ladies and I don't think that I'm ever going to be okay with that. No, but I don't know what has. I don't know why you connect. What What does it have to do with this? You do know one week by the bare naked ladies. Seven days is a week because it takes place over a week. Six days. Okay. Sunday doesn't count. It's, it's no underwear day. I don't get it. She's ruined my funny every time, Tamsin. Okay. Fine. It's a really good song. Okay. <laughs> um, but yes, every morning is marked by Derek creepily staring at Meredith as she snores. Roll her onto her side is the advice that I can give you as the partner of a horrendous snorer. Just roll them onto their side. <laughs> it's funny the way that they shoot the show, these scenes, is like the progression of um of us learning how bad Meredith's snoring is because the first time we see them wake up, it's just Derek staring at Meredith. Meredith wakes up and is like, why are you creepily staring at me? And then they kiss, blah, blah, blah. The next time we see it is it happens again, Derek's staring at Meredith and Meredith's like, why? Like, stop staring at me. When do you ever sleep? How can you? And he's like, I just, I'm a light sleeper. Don't worry about it. And that's when we find out that she snores. And then she gets really angry at him. telling her that she snores to the point where she says, well, you have really bad morning breath. So if you're waking up before me, go and brush your teeth. (laughs) And then the next progression is she wakes up a little bit earlier than usual and she finds Derek asleep in George's bed. And we learn from Izzy, who's just walking around the house in her pyjamas. Well, obviously she's been woken up by Meredith screeching at Derek about sleeping in George's bed and just trundles out. It's like before when you were the mistress, he'd sleep on the couch, set an alarm and come back up and run into bed with you. Mm. Does that mean the whole time they were dating that all the housemates would just come down for coffee and breakfast while their boss was passed out on the couch? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? It's weird to think about. It's so mm-hmm. weird. 
What's more weird is the fact that I noticed by the third morning that every morning Meredith had been wearing a padded underwire bra to bed. I didn't notice that. It was just for some reason she was sleeping on her back and I noticed it and I was like. Uncomfortable. Oh, God. Uncomfortable. Yeah. Uncomfortable. I used to do it when I was a teenager. I thought that if I didn't wear a bra to bed, my boobs would sag. So I think it was up until I was 17, I wore an underwired bra to bed every day. I remember that too. I did that too. I heard that rumor. Oh, thinking about it now, there's been a couple of times where I've accidentally gone to bed, <laughs> gone to bed in a bra. <laughs> to be fair, bread makes me pretty uncomfortable as well. <laughs> um, but again, it goes back to that sort of mental health aspect where Meredith is very clear with Derek because she pulls him aside and says, where did you sleep when we were in the trailer? It's like, well, I'd pop outside and I'd sleep in the hammock. And she was super vulnerable with him in this moment. And it probably has a lot to do with the fact that her father has been in the hospital today because she tells him, I'm a girl with abandonment issues. You mm-hmm. have to stay in bed with me. That's so brutally honest. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's really amazing for her to share that. But I also, I don't think she should be angry at Derek. Derek's trying not to offend her, but he also really needs to sleep because he's a brain surgeon. And I think him popping away, sleeping, setting an alarm and going back to bed is actually a really kind thing for him to have been doing this whole time. If 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 finally the truth has come out and Meredith needs him to be in bed with her, then I think she needs to attempt to do something. She about needs her to story. do something about her snoring so he can actually sleep. Which she does. Yeah. But I don't think getting angry at him is the right move. I don't think he actually deserves the anger in this moment. Other moments, definitely. This, no. I don't know where the societal norms about sharing a bed being a determination of a healthy relationship came from because, honestly, not sleeping in the same bed as your partner can just be the best thing in the world sometimes. Oh, yeah. I remember when I have to do work trips. I know you do work trips all the time, actually. Mm. It's so nice having a bed. It's so nice. And I build myself a cocoon. Sleep in the middle of the bed. I sleep in the middle of the bed surrounded by pillows. My partner will get grumpy with me because I wake him up to roll him over when he's snoring. And after four years of this, it still hasn't sort of gotten through that the only reason that I am able to wake him up is because I have been awoken. And I don't know if yours does it, but mine will roll over and just in a second, fall back asleep. Fall back to sleep. And I know he's yeah. back asleep because he's snoring. Snoring. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> you're like, you're, you're still awake? So you finally drift off and then another <laughs> happens and you're like, okay. And then they get grumpy. I'm like, guys. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. awake for a good 30 minutes trying to ignore the snoring and go back to sleep. And then I was awake for another half an hour after I rolled yeah. onto your side mine sometimes I'll like wake him up or not wake him up intentionally but you know roll him t- over try, roll him over or like touch him to try and make him like move and then if he wakes up he'll get annoyed at me <laughs> but then in the morning I'll be like oh I hardly slept because you're snoring and he'll be like oh just wake me up just roll me over it's okay I'm like I did and then you got angry. <laughs> no, mine goes the opposite I'm way. Sorry, I'm I'm tired and asleep when you do it, so I, I'm grumpy. I'm like, there's not. I don't. I can't win in this situation. 
Yeah, see, mine goes the opposite way. And he's like, I slept terrible. You wouldn't stop pushing me. And I'm like, oh, if Tom hears this, he'll be so upset. (laughs) Fuck it. He should be. I am going to do a poll. No, you'll be more upset about the fact that I enjoy sleeping in beds without him. (laughs) It's weird, though, because you do miss them. And there have been times where... That's why it's good if it's a temporary work trip situation because then you can blame work. You're like, I have, I have to do it. Oh, have I to not be. It's, it's not me. Like, it's not me. I didn't choose it. I have to do it. There's been like sort of days in a row where Ev will sleep in the other bed because he knows he's going to snore and I'm like, but I miss you because I wake up first. So I'm like, if you were to wake up and like come and give me a snug, that'd be great, but it's what I tend to do. But yeah, I, I don't know that there should be so much judgment on couples sleeping in separate beds. Because honestly, if either of us have anything important to do the next day, one of us will sleep in the spare room. Oh, really? No one likes to wake up sore, grumpy, and pouty. Well, except for O'Malley. Nah. Was that a segue? That was a good one. <laughs> I have a theory about why O'Malley was so unattractive to Meredith because he's her dad O'Malley yeah yeah oh oh okay so they're both pouty that similarity was established when Ellis came into the hospital and thought it was Thatcher oh yeah but I didn't see it this clearly I don't think I've ever really uh until today until this episode yeah right yeah where Thatcher was just a bumbling soggy-eyed he was just he's a blobfish you've seen the blobfish pictures on the internet he's just kind of damp and I just don't like sorry I just don't like talking about people's appearance um I don't necessarily mean appearance wise they're just both very squishy individuals you know there doesn't feel like there's a lot of backbone in there so I don't necessarily mean appearance. It's just sort of. Totally. They're just both very mopey people. Mm-hmm. Like a blobfish. I imagine mm-hmm. a blobfish is quite a, is the Eeyore of the sea, but less charming. The Eeyore of the sea. Oh, Eeyore. Mm-hmm. George is the Eeyore. Oh my God. George is the Eeyore. George is the Eeyore. Izzy's definitely (gasps) the... Tigger. Thank you. Yeah, Tigger. Definitely the Tigger. Christina is the rabbit. Bailey is hands down the owl. Yeah. Who's the star of the show? So it's got to be Meredith. Well, Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. Yep. Who's Alex? Kanga? Oh, maybe. Wait, isn't it the, the, the theory that each of the characters represents a different... Mental. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yep, mental health. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, so Piglet's an anxious, nervous wreck. So if you put Piglet and Eeyore together, George is Piglet riding Eeyore's back. George. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Mopey George can be mopey today. Um, Dad's going in for surgery. And we first see Mr. O'Malley with the family going absolutely nuts during rounds. And it looks like George's family has finally come full circle and respects him as a doctor and is excited for what he does because when they go on rounds, um, the whole family wants George to announce his father and, and do the brief and they're all so excited. And it's this great moment where he goes, okay, you can cheer now, we're done. But Mr. O'Malley 
is putting on a good face for the family. But he sees Dr. Weber and Bailey standing at the nurse's desk and he begs them to take out the tumour because his oncologist has told him that if it's too big and it's moved to other places that they'll just have to sew him back up and he'll be. Yeah, so, well, it's if there's METs, if it's metastasized and it's affecting a lot of other organs, that makes his, all his organs a lot weaker. So fighting this is basically impossible because of how much toll it already takes on your body to fight cancer and to go through chemo. So if all of your organs are already sick and already uh, struggling, then the process of trying to get them better, the process of fighting is actually so hard on your body that it's just, it's, it's like a next to impossible fight. So the thing that they do that is protocol is to just send them home and let them live out their last days not Mm -hmm. in pain having some quality of life day two and george is taking the day off um bailey's given him this time to just be with his father and his dad starts apologizing for all the things he didn't say and for bits in the past and he starts off by telling george that he ran over the family dog Uh wasn't on purpose he just, you know, got under the back wheels. Well, he actually says to George, I, I didn't have the heart to tell you because you were a, you were soft. It would have hurt you. And George is like, I'm not, I'm not soft. I'm not soft. You could have told Dad me. Dad says, you were a soft kid. You were good. You were kind. You loved animals. You were always helping other people. But you're crazy if you let that Callie girl get away. She gets you like your family never did. And I want to apologize for that as well. The scene is so beautiful. George's dad is just George's dad has a heart of gold. He would he would be the best Santa. He's such he would be an incredible Santa. You know, he's just that friendly neighborhood guy that everyone knows. And he's the guy that's gonna ask you about how your Auntie Linda's doing because he met her once in 1987 and she was having a bad time then. He's just He's a big He might not bug. remember her name though. No. But he'll ask. He'll ask. And he just wants what's best for his family. But as they're playing cards, George is like, we are not saying the goodbyes. We are not having this conversation. Just play your damn card. So his dad does. And George smacks his hand down and says, dog murderer. This is such a nice <laughs> bonding scene. There is so much bonding in this episode and we really see our characters get to know each other and it's so beautiful. There's so many good little scenes like this. It's an absolute delight. Trying to figure out what the theme of this is without a monologue is is hard, but I, but we can kind of make it up without a monologue today. And when you said before quality of life, I'm even thinking maybe that's That's where theme. I kind of thought it was going because. When we think of our different, so Derek gets out of bed with Meredith to preserve his quality of life and the quality of his work. Totally. Mr. O'Malley just wants Mm -hmm. to have good quality of life and doesn't want to be sick and bedridden and not be able to be there for his family. Burke and Christine is a hard one. Well, I think quality of life is so so specific Mm -hmm. to individual people your what's best for one's quality of life isn't best for another and when it comes to Mr O'Malley he 
for himself, for him to feel like the type of person that he is, which is a fighter, O'Malley's a fighters, he he needs the chance to fight. The idea of sitting at home waiting as his organs shut down is not a quality of life that sits well with him. He wants and deserves and feels he has the right to fight no matter how bad it is when they open him up, no matter how far this tumour has spread or the Mets have gone. He, For him to feel like he's done everything he can in this life to fight to be around for his family, he needs that choice and he begs for that choice and he begs for that chance from Weber and Bailey who who agree and say that they will. They'll continue on with the surgery no matter how bad it is. It gets a little bit tricky because George knows how hospitals work. He knows how doctors work and he confronts Bailey and says, look, I know you're going to want to lie to me, but it's really going to help me out if you don't. I need you to be honest. Mm. And Bailey does promise that she will. But unfortunately, this promise that they've made to George's father overrides that. And they have to basically perform this surgery, not necessarily in secret, but not telling George what his father's decision was going to be. I actually can't remember this two episodes that well. And my whole body was like, he's about to ask for an um, a DNR. So quickly, I want to jump in and th- there was a little moment in this episode as well that I think in a way was Alex deciding where his loyalties lie between Mark and Addison. And that decision is something I think he's doing for his own quality of life. I'm just going to be throwing that around for the rest of this chat now because I think we've we've hit the nail on the head somewhere here. Yeah, I think you're right as well. Um, And it is actually specifically prominent in the case that Alex and Addison are working on together. Mm -hmm. So Alex initially gets put onto Sloan's service and he's immediately just being an absolute dick to Alex and Addison sort of wanders over and says, do you like to torture the interns? And for some reason this week he's allowed to be a dick. We don't know what this week is, but we do know that Alex gets mm. to work with Addison again and go back to this, the gyny squad where everything is squishy and pink. But firstly we see Alex stick up for Addison and I love it. He, he, he says to Addison he's being an ass like to you and she says like he's allowed to be today whatever and or this week and then in a minute the next time we see them mark has ordered alex to get him a bone dry cappuccino (laughs) just gonna keep happening it's gonna keep happening oh you want your coffee with fru-fru and chocolate okay you want you want a big boy baby, Chino? I hate paying out Mark and saying his baby because he's so hot. He drinks bone dry cappuccinos. Does that make your bone dry? Uh, it does. It very much does. Yeah. And instead, Alex gets him the wrong coffee and gets him a vanilla latte and pulls this little prank <laughs> on him right in front of Addison. And Mark gets all infuriating. Infuriating? Infuriated. Mark gets mad at Alex for not being able to. He gets even, grumpy. He gets grumpy because Alex can't even get a coffee order right. And then mm. Alex says to Addison, I did that for you. On purpose. Yeah. Because they're working 
together today uh, on Laura Thompson, which is Meredith's niece. Both Molly and Molly's mum have the flu today, which means Thatcher is running around the hospital looking spooked and, and bumping into Meredith everywhere. And Meredith sort of speaks to Christina about it and says, I wish the baby bumping into Meredith would get everywhere. well and I wouldn't have to see them. Oh, my God, am I being an awful human being? <laughs> and Christina, who you can tell is sitting on the completely opposite side of the fence, is like, no, no, being awful would have been wishing the baby would die so you wouldn't have to see them. <laughs> Christina, it's so spicy. <laughs> um, but he keeps trying to talk yeah, yeah. to Meredith at the most inopportune times. Like she's wheeling George's father to his surgery with George's mum and George in tow. And they have this really awkward interaction where everyone says hello to Thatcher. And as they're walking away, George's mum just wants the gossip. She is living her best life hanging out at this hospital, seeing all this drama. She's like, oh, is that your ex-boyfriend? She's like, no, that's my ex-father. And just the sheer confusion on this woman's face. Worth every penny. Mm-hmm. Poor Meredith having to bump into Thatcher at every every turn. Yeah, Alex is checking over little Laura Thompson and the nurse says that her stomach's distended, so they bring in Addison. They've got to go into surgery. Meredith, while watching the surgery, Weber comes in and tells her that she needs to go update her father. Weber can't fucking do anything for himself, can he? He's become such a coward. He's like, well, I can't do it because Thatcher doesn't really like me very much. And Meredith's like, well, yeah, and he doesn't really like me very much either. But also we're not on the case, not our fucking job. Richard still has to, like, the way Richard pushes Meredith in front of the bus. Constantly. Constantly for Richard's, like, Richard did this. Richard's the one that made, that fucked up his own marriage. Richard's the one that broke things off with Ellis. Mm -hmm. But Richard keeps being like, well, I can't go talk to Ellis, Meredith. You you have to do it for me. You have to do it for me. And now it's like, well, I can't go talk to Thatcher. No, no, no. Like he's scary. Like Meredith, you go do it. It's like you fucked up Meredith. This is all your fault. I can't believe how mad I am at Chief Webber on this rewatch. I've never really thought about it before. And every time he pulls this cowardly bullshit, it makes me more and more mad and think he is, he's just getting weaker and more pathetic in my eyes. He should have broken things off with Adele ages ago. He should have just got with Ellis and faced up to the fact that that's who he had feelings for. Mm -hmm. He should have faced up to Thatcher like a man and been like, sorry, like this is happening. You are totally free to hate me. Like, but I'm not going to yeah. cowardly cower away and then avoid you. But also we're in a professional setting. He doesn't have to like you, but you're the doctor. So all you're coming in is to say, hey, want to let you know this is what's going on. Okay, good chat, bye. But also you're so correct. It's not their surgery. Like it, it, it should be Alex. It's, no. And I 100% understand why Meredith today of all days is not the time that she wants to be seeing Thatcher because – if we remember last episode, she heard for the first time that her mother didn't want children and should never have had children, and now she's stuck every day being face-to-face with the father who also didn't want her. And she's 
watching this man coo and tell this little baby how she's got her own room mm-hmm. and how he's going to paint it whatever colour she wants and, you know, what's that that nursery rhyme? Daddy bought me a diamond ring. Mm-hmm. 12 fuzzies. Yeah, that's. Mm-hmm. And this is, she's seeing a dad in her dad when she never saw a dad in him. She's like, mm-hmm. oh. And Weber as well is sticking up for him. She's like, your mother was a force to be reckoned with. Thatcher is a good man. There may be a side to this story that you don't know about. It's like, okay, but that does not excuse any of anyone's mm. behaviour. And also, Weber, if you think he's a good man, you go talk to him. Weber fucked up this relationship between Meredith and her dad. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's like Weber's just hiding from his own responsibilities because he's too cowardly to own up to anything. Yeah. He seems to think he got away from all of this scot-free. Ellis mm. is a force to be reckoned with, yes, right? Thatcher, maybe. Maybe he does have his own story. But it's not Meredith's job to go and find that out. She was no. a child. It's Thatcher's job to fix this. Also, remember, Meredith tried. Meredith went to his house, like, not very long ago, knocked on the door to ask him questions to try and get some answers, and he just kind of shut her down. And she was also told when... uh her half-sister came in pregnant, that Thatcher does not want Molly knowing exactly that she's her sister. So she's obviously quite unwelcome. And to be honest, she owes these people nothing. No. I don't know why everyone is. I just, it's awful. The whole like, oh, you have to give them a chance. They're your parent. Mm. I'm like, no, you don't owe anybody anything. No. No. It's not her father. He is not her parent. He did not do the parenting. And if he wants to change that, if he wants to, if he has things to say, if he wants to change her opinion, that's up to him. But she also doesn't have to listen or be there or talk to him at all. She doesn't have to be associated. And I don't fucking know why everyone, except for Addison, who was like, hey, heads up, here's a warning, mm. is pushing it so hard. I've been in Grey's situation and this whole fucking storyline and hearing everyone else talk about it is just really infuriating. So let's talk about the sex instead. Well, firstly, while we're talking about dads, what's important is Meredith asks Christina, do you have a dad? And it's it's so funny. You feel like you know people really well, right? I feel like this in my own life too. These two are, we think they're, well, you know, they call each other best friends. They're each other's person. But there's still some pretty big things they don't know about each other, which is fair. You find out things over time. But something like a question like, do you have a dad? And then, Christina, we learn this episode that no, but she has a stepdad and he's fine. And this like, that's just an important, it's just important that we talk about that now because it comes up again. So I just wanted to make sure we were all (laughs) across the board with that Mm -hmm. sex sex okay that was my segue was it good yeah it was good (laughs) i really (laughs) enjoyed your segue thank you um, my sex way your sex way um oh yeah for the confessions you you made a really good sex way it was great thank you surgery's over no one's spoken to weber but addison and alex are again having another conversation and 
he admits that he hates seeing the babies like this. And Addison says, well, do you want to go into plastics? Because most of the people have signed up for the pain that they're getting. It's about pain, but she cannot have this conversation without her eyes flicking between eyes and mouth. Mm. She's just looking at those lips constantly. Well, Alex says that mm-hmm. he stood up, stood up for her. Alex says, I got him that that vanilla latte. I knew he'd hate it and I did it because he was rude to you. And no one fucking sticks up for Addison. No one befriends Addison. Addison has been the villain for years. No one is fucking nice and to no her. And no one is and fucking her. infuriating. Sex way. And then we have this moment and they just, the heads tilt and the mouths come closer and closer and then some dumb nurse bursts in. And honest to God, I can't remember if they have sex, but, man, I need them to because it's going to be hot. It's going to be super hot. So, yes, A, those two together would be really hot, but, B, I just what I don't want them to I want them to just be friends. Addison needs a fucking friend. Callie, we need more Callie and Addison. Yeah, and we need Alex and Addison to stay mentor-mentee because they have such a great relationship. I just really want to see Callie, Addison, and Bailey fun drunk. Mm. It feels like a good vibe. Fuck, I just want to get fun drunk with Callie and Addison and Bailey. Strong agree. Kiss doesn't happen. So at the end of our episode, Addison sort of walks. It is so cute. It's a really cute scene though, isn't it? It's like, oh, um, work crushes, you know, they're fun. And this relationship with these two, uh, so there's, it's, there's nothing toxic in this, I think. Whereas, you know, we have Burke and Christina, we have Derek and... Meredith and they're such toxic relationships but there just isn't anything toxic in this one the only like sprinkling of casual toxicity in this one is the fact that both of our characters are so starved for kindness that they can't see kindness from someone of the opposite sex as a platonic love and it becomes Mm. like a oh Mm. you're doing a sexual thing which can be quite a hard thing to sort of find the fine line between because a lot of Alex's emotional interactions with women is of a sexual nature. Mm, that's true. At this stage, he doesn't really have a lot of female friends. He's getting he's getting there slowly with Meredith and Christina, but slow. Addison shows the ultimate shows the ultimate kindness at all times. She she's very rarely shown kindness back, but we see it again in this episode where. We don't know why Sloane is being a stroppy baby, but Addison walks up to him and says, I'm I'm sorry you're hurting this week. And Mark just claps back with a, you're sorry I'm hurting or you're sorry. And we don't know why. I know why, but I won't tell you. I'm sure I'll remember <laughs> I'm sure why. I'll remember why pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the end of the episode. Without a monologue, there isn't any kind of big wrap-up moments, especially because this is a two-parter, but we do end with, like, just a montage of all of our characters. We see Izzy on the famous walkway with a little light bulb going off in her brain because her patient can't afford to pay for things. Um, There's a beautiful moment where George's dad has come out of surgery and 
him, his two brothers and his mother are going in to see them and he stops them right before they get to the room. Mm. And this is the very first time that we see George being able to communicate with his family and he really kindly explains to them that they need to prepare themselves for what he's going to look like. And he says it plainly. He's really concise, but he does make sure that they're aware. Mm -hmm. And he's been checking in with Dr. Burke all day about what he needs to look for after his dad's surgery. Burke's like the kidneys are the indicator. If the kidneys go down, everything goes down. So when his dad's sort of, when they go in to visit the dad, he prepared the others but didn't necessarily prepare himself for how he was going to feel about it. And Meredith's there. George is frozen at the door and he grabs Meredith by the arm and pulls her really close and sort of says, it's my dad, it's my dad. And you can tell that he that it hadn't really hit home yet. George and Kelly. George and Kelly, I totally forgot. Okay, we're not up to the wrap-ups yet. You're right. <laughs> We have to go back to George's dad getting out of surgery. (laughs) Before that, Callie had some success staring down Derek. This bitch has got it. She is on a mission. She's going to stare down any man who is not participating in her storyline. Yes, Callie. I love Callie staring down. So good. So she actually tries to do it to George. George is completely (laughs) amused. He's like, what are you doing? You are making me uncomfortable. He's like, you're making a weird face. (laughs) And she's like, all right, wait, wait, hold on. Let me try again. And they have this really cute laughy moment that breaks the tension. Yeah. Um, There's so much, like, anxiety this episode. Callie's just the most doe-eyed and and excitable person this episode. It's very good. Yeah, and these Callie scenes just completely shake it off Mm -hmm. and it's so good. But George's dad comes out of surgery. George very beautifully communicates with his family and says like just prepare yourselves the surgery was a lot harder than we we're expecting so he's going to have a scar he's going to have a tube to help him breathe so just prepare yourself but this is a really lovely a bit of a wrap up of George's family because we know that he struggled with communication and them sort of respecting and accepting what he does for a living totally and in the morning, they're all cheering and excited and they want to support him and he's a little bit embarrassed. Um, but they're there for him and it's this really mm-hmm. cool, like, full turnaround moment. But this is the real clincher for me at rounds. His family was showing that he supports, that they support him. Mm-hmm. But now at the end, this is his opportunity to give something back for all of their support. And he says oh. he's just warning them, like, it's, it's not really occurred to anyone and it's definitely not occurred to George what it's going to be like walking into that room and he says, you know, he's going to have drainage tubes. He might still have a tube in his throat. He's going to have a really, really big scar. So just prepare yourself. I think George has really had to, or he in himself, around his family while all this is happening, he hasn't been able to drop his I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor, I'm a medical professional guard because he uses that and has to put that on so much to feel like he's getting their respect even though we know you know his dad still loves him and it's kind of not about that for George it is George needs them to hear him being a doctor Mm -hmm. and I think it's this moment where we finally see George around his family 
just being a family member. And I don't think he was prepared. And I think another really what's super humbling as well is I think that he thought that he was going to be mm. fine with all this. He was going to be calm and collected because he sees this shit every day. But it's not until he walks into that room and he has just the, a moment of a glance at his father that he grabs Meredith by the arm and is frozen in fear outside of the room with the sudden realisation that, oh, shit, this isn't a patient. This, this is my dad. Mm-hmm. And he just repeats those words and clings to Meredith. Yeah. He's saying, this is my my dad or my father. Mm. But luckily he has hospital daddy and he goes to Dr. Burke, gives him his father's chart and says, what do I need to make sure of? And he's like, well, the biggest concern with these surgeries is multi-organ failure. And that starts with the kidneys. If the kidneys are going down, ship's sinking. So there's this really overdone scene. With George frantically fondling uh-huh. a catheter bag <laughs> as his brother and mum stand back and be like, um, Georgie. Georgie's really obsessed with if dad's pee. pee down, I love that we've both just gone so Australian. <laughs> 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 if I either of us ever try and talk like mums, we'd definitely go to the, the tight-lipped bright mum. Or Jeremy. Oh, I think we could mm-hmm. stop that now. But it it all comes full circle on what his father says, and that's we were never family to you. Callie is family to you. She understands you because as they're getting creeped out in the corner, Callie walks in, sees him fondling the bag of peas, screaming, it's 130 cc's of beautiful golden urine. Callie's so excited and she is matching his energy and they are jumping around and they are partying and he just kisses her and his brothers are just like, how the fuck did that guy get her? And we are also asking the same question. (laughs) Everyone is so shocked. But they do understand, like Callie does understand him and they they do have a cute bond when he's nice to her. I'm just going to live in the joy for this moment. It's a really joyous scene. I don't want to get too bogged down in it yet. Yep. We're, we're not going to, we're not going to joy. Cute joy. Cute joy. We love a cute joy. And we love Callie happy and kissing George makes Callie happy. No comment. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head this week, Tamsin, with the overarching theme. Yeah. I think everyone's trying to do things in their life, remove people, get out of situations, tell the truth, ask for what they need everything to improve their own quality of life and everyone except for Christina and Burke Mm. is the only other closing scene that we see is Christina curled up terribly uncomfortable on one of those horrible very small hospital couches in Burke's room and they're both just staring at each other silently as the other is trying to sleep they're kind of drifting off to sleep looking at each other and not talking. That's the main thing. They're not speaking to each other. They're just there. God, I want them to break up. And that is it. I cannot wait to get into the second half of this episode. We want to see the next three days in this little this little mini movie. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you so much for, I hope you all enjoyed our silly little confessions episode that came out last week. We had actually so much fun recording it. It was very silly. An absolute ball. 
oh my God, this entire episode, Tamsin is going to be working so hard on the editing because one of us will yawn and then the other one will yawn and it's just been an ongoing <laughs> cycle. And it's not because I don't want to be here. It's just I, I, this last, you know, the last few weeks of the working year is so exhausting. Mm-hmm. I I went to Sydney on on Wednesday, had our staff party, which was a full 12 hours of social interaction. Mm-hmm. I was having breakfast with people and talking at 8 a.m. and then came back to Melbourne yesterday. My flight got delayed, had to change another flight. And then I was so late getting home that I had been at the airport for seven hours and then I had to drive two hours to Castle, Maine for a tasting that I was an hour late for and then did not get home until 9.30 last night. Oh, my God. It doesn't feel too late, but, like, and you, you've been doing overnight shifts. You've been spending four hours arranging curtains and just doing the latest days. Oh, yeah, I feel like I haven't left the studio. I started the other day at 5.30 a.m. No. (laughs) And then... Two nights ago, I was still in the studio arranging a set and ironing curtains until midnight. I did an overnight shift a couple of nights ago. I'm like, my sleeping pattern is so completely off. Yeah, I don't even know. I feel so bizarre in my body clock. My body clock is so non-existent. And my staff party is on Tuesday and the bar we're going to is run by an ex of mine. <laughs> yeah, we hope that you are all enjoying your time off if you've taken it this week, but try not to get too stressed out by Christmas. It's just a day. Don't have to do anything you don't want to. Um and we will be here to love and support you the whole way through. So have a lovely festivus, however you do choose to celebrate it, and we will speak to you in no the new year no and we will speak to you next week have a delightful time thanks for listening bye bye vagina sing it vagina i'm gonna go get a coffee i love your shirt by the way oh my little jump on thank you